Marini's Media. Totally football show, European edition today. Champions League, cast converter, what the Man City verdict means for the citizens and football. Plus, we break down the draw for this season's knockout stages. There's also the weekend's game, Serie A, Atlanta the Enchanter and scientist perfect specimen of Gorin Pandev preserved in amber and Liga, where Espanyol couldn't manage to stay up and neither could Gareth Bale. Plus, we catch up with a mess in MLS in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hello, listener, and hello to our Euro panel, Raphael Honigstein. Hello, James. James Horncastle. Good day to you. Alvaro Romeo. How are you, James? Very well, thank you. And Julian Laurence. Hi, James. Lovely to see you all. Jules, listen, we ought to start uh, with this shot news about Serge Aurier's uh, brother. Uh, Christopher, have you, have you got any of the, the background details on, on, on this story? Yeah, terrible news for, for Serge and for the Aurier family. His younger brother, Christopher, who was 26, who lived in, in Toulouse in southwest of France. He was playing amateur football there. Uh, got shot dead very early this morning, around 5 a.m., the police said, uh, outside a nightclub, or at least not far from a nightclub. Uh, two gunshots in the, in the abdomen, and he couldn't be saved once he got to, um, to, to the hospital. Uh, it's t- terrible, really terrible stories. Uh, he was very close to Serge. They were together at the Lance Academy when they were younger. He didn't really make it. Didn't make it as a as a pro, but was he playing at a good level, fifth division in France, so semi-pro, but could not really, uh, you know, make it to his dream like like his brother. So it's a terrible news, uh, and the the killer or the the. The, the potential killer has, has fled as well. So there's a big investigation going on right now in Toulouse to try to find the, the one or two or, or more people and, uh, and the police are looking for witnesses as well or people who would know something maybe in the nightclub where apparently Christopher went uh, that night on Sunday, between Sunday and Monday night. So, yes, terrible news for, for the Oye family. There's no idea yet as to, as to why this might have happened. No, I mean, the only thing is the local newspaper, La Dépêche du Midi, uh, there in Toulouse, said that Christopher had some previous um, issue with the police and, and stuff that he did. And that's, all, that's all we know about maybe why that could have happened. It, it looks, again, that he spent some of the night in that nightclub, not far from me, in the west suburbs of, of the city. And then, I don't know, maybe there was an argument over there. I mean, we can all speculate, but, but clearly they came out of the nightclub and then ended up in that argument on a like industrial estate not far from there where the the sh- the, the shotgun were 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 shot at, at Christopher but i think the, the from what the police said the investigation could, could be quite quick because there was obviously a lot of people who saw Christopher before he died in that nightclub uh, and and like i said he was he was quite well known from the the police over there terribly sad news uh, for the Oreo family uh, after this we'll move on to the weekend's football you're listening to the totally football show with james richardson part of the athletic podcast network and if you're not yet a subscriber to the athletic make sure you check out their coverage of each and every premier league club by taking out a free 30-day trial by heading to theathletic.com slash totally all right big week in the champions league and for uefa in general what with the draw for the europa and champions leagues held last week and this Monday morning the verdict in Man City's appeal against their two-season Champions League ban that's been waived and instead they've been 
uh, hit with a fine reduced from 30 million to just 10 million euros, which given they'll make, I think, 15 million euros just from participating in next year's group stage anyway, isn't too much of a penalty. Uh, what does it all mean? Well, here's Raphael Honigstein in a bubble bath to explain. (laughs) (laughs) Well, first of all, it means that City are back in the Champions League, as you just said. I think that is the most important um, part of this verdict today. What it means beyond that for FFP, for UEFA, we really have to wait and see a little bit longer. I think it's it's a natural reaction, perhaps a bit of a knee-jerk one to say FFP is now dead. But as Kaz um, explained in the verdict... The reason why City were let off effectively is because most of the alleged breaches have been time barred, i.e. UEFA just didn't manage to investigate in time before the five-year statutory limitations run out and that other parts of the allegations were simply not proven. Again, we have to wait, I think, a little bit longer to understand what that really means. Um, certainly City, I think, have throughout this process been very, very confident saying that they have irrefutable evidence why uh, this ban should be should be overturned. And in the end, you have to say, on the face of it, uh, CAS have agreed with them. So, you know, whether that means that UEFA just got their own process wrong or simply didn't have enough evidence to back up the allegations that came from the Football League's emails, we have to wait and see, but I'd caution against this idea that FFP is now dead and completely meaningless because of this case. Listener N are writing in saying, how do you think fans feel after seeing their club selling off their best players time and time again to get in with the financial fair play only to see this verdict today? Do, do you guys share Rafa's view that uh, this isn't a mortal blow to the financial fair play regulations? I think in public perception, uh, it is. Um, I think uh, we'll have to see um, what the published ruling will be, um, what the detail behind this is as, as a justification. But, um, you know, I spoke to one executive of a European club today and, and they, they felt that reform of FFP is is necessary and in some respects inevitable. And um, they feel that it's already uh, started um, because the issue has been forced by COVID-19 and the pandemic um, for new provisions to be made. And uh, I think in conjunction with, with this story as well, it might force the issue even more. Um, but we'll have to see, I but think. In, but in which way, James? Because coronavirus now has basically led to a loosening of regulations but at the same time, people want tougher regulations to avoid the next Manchester City. I suspect that it would be in the direction of looser regulations. Even though UEFA have, uh, over the last few years, have, have made a big song and dance out of how prior to FFP, um, European football clubs were making a loss of, what, 1.67 billion. Um, and in the last two years, the European game has been has been profitable and that is seen as the success of financial fair play even though we know that the game has never been more polarized um in 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 that time how the rich have got richer and leagues have become less competitive and and more stratified than ever so i think in some respects uh, a, a conversation needs to be had about about incorporating some of the best bits of ffp but I think loosening it up a, a little bit. I know. I know we've seen this for clubs that have been taken over in some of Europe's top five leagues, where because of the problems that they've inherited, they just haven't been able to uh, 
uh, to make the most of the project um, that they've got. Um, you know, particularly in, in countries like Italy, where you know if you haven't, if you don't own a, a stadium where you can you, you can make money. Um, you're limited in the amount of money that you can earn and therefore then invest in your club um, and make it more competitive, which is which is an issue. In terms of the ramifications for people respecting FFP or not, it's also worth just stressing the fact that, as Rafa mentioned, the reason that Man City were able to get the ban overturned was that uh, it was outside the five-year window for uh, these alleged offences, and and that was because uh, the leaks hadn't even happened until 2018. A lot of the offences were were dating back to 2012. So in that respect, alleged offences, alleged offences were dating back to 2012. So in that sense, it's not rewriting FFP regulations; just saying that they can't apply because the time had passed. It's just the investigation perhaps came too late or the court case came a little bit too late. But it happens a lot in justice as well that sometimes you may feel that uh, something is not right. But uh, the time bar thing is something that happens a lot in uh, sports cases as well. And uh, when, uh, mm, for example, judging some uh, doping scandals retrospectively as well. So I think that uh, this is something that... uh, Perhaps uh, we know that there are alleged evidences, but definitely uh, insufficient uh, conclusive evidences. And this didn't make a, a case uh, for Manchester City to, to miss the next uh, Champions League campaign. Jules, is this going to make clubs respect FFP less? I mean, let's not forget that Man City got done for FFP in 2014. So they, they already had, they, they agreed a settlement with, with UEFA, but they, they breached the rules already. The only thing is, after Football Leagues, UEFA thought that they should be punished harder than what they were in 2014. Hence, the, the whole thing that we've seen now with the ban and then cars and all of that. But they were, they breached the rules before. Let's not forget that. It's just that they were lucky this time that the new ban and the, and the cash ruling happened more than five years later. So it was too late and, 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 and UEFA really couldn't, couldn't have the, the, the real punishment that they wanted initially. So I, did, I, I think... Clubs will still have to follow FFP. Uh, I think PSG before City got away with it. I think City got away with it in in a much bigger way than than than, than what they did really. But for a lot of other clubs, it has worked. Before FFP, the the money that big clubs in Europe were losing was huge. I think it was 1.8 billions. And and I think in the last two years, they've actually, if you put all the big clubs together, they've actually made profit. So in a way, you can't say that it hasn't worked. But for sure, in some cases like PSG and City. They should have clearly been punished, I think, harder than what they have. So why is it that some clubs like PSG and Man City can, as you say, get away with it, but others can't? So for me, the, the wrong thing initially and technically will be those settlements that for PSG and Man City, those clubs were able to to have with UEFA and with with the body that, that rules basically financial fair play. I think... If you breach it, you breach it, you need to get banned and sanctioned. You can't just agree, okay, well, we pay a fine and then we only have 21 players in our Champions League squad next season and we do this and we do that. And I just think UEFA was far too lenient with PSG first and then with City once it was proven that those two clubs breached FFP before. I think they should have been far stronger in the punishment then because, because that, was, that was not, I think, a sanction that uh, was in line with breaching financial fair play, if you see what I mean. After that, the Football League showed, or at least alleged, um, that City lied and didn't really want to give 
other evidence and they were quite difficult to deal with, etc. And that's why UEFA then tried to punish them harder, which was not the case with PSG. And as we said, it was there was a loophole there and well done for City for exploiting that loophole and, and the five-year thing. But I just think that in the first place, FFP was far too kind to PSG and City. Can I just go back to Rafa and his bubble bath, um, please? Um, because Please, yeah, join me. <laughs> <laughs> um, because you asked me whether I thought it'd get looser or tougher FFP on on the on the back of this, what's your feeling? It depends a little bit how how the pendulum shifts. I mean, you're right to mention that in Italy there is a feeling, I think, among some of the traditional powers that have been left behind that financial fair is more of a problem than a benefit to them. If you go to um, to Spain the big powers would say FFP is absolutely necessary because otherwise we will also be outspent by by City and PSG. And I guess in Germany, it's it's different yet again because there even the smaller clubs absolutely support the idea of FFP, even though it doesn't really infringe on them that much. But they, they're worried that if FFP falls, they will not just be outspent by the PSGs and the buyers and the Juventus of this world, but also by... Fulham, Southampton, Bournemouth and Burnley uh, and cannot keep any of their players. I think City have shown that the financial regulations are open to interpretation and I think UEFA will have to think very hard and, and, and carefully next time they are bringing an investigation against the club. So I think it will have a chilling effect and make it much more difficult for them to be absolutely secure in their in their own verdict as far as the the first body's concern, which is not strictly speaking UEFA, but the commission, the adjudicatory chamber. Well, your suds are running out, Rafa, so let's move on. Man City will be taking part in next season's Champions League and quite possibly the one after that. Uh, but what about this season's affair? Uh, of course, the draw for that was held uh, just last week. So let's get some thoughts on that next. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. All right then, how about that Champions League draw? Woof. Uh, all the big teams on one side of the draw and then a whole bunch of sides who have never uh, won the competition in the other. Atalanta, PSG, RB Leipzig and Atletico Madrid who are the only one of those four to have even reached the final before. Uh, your Man City's, your Real Madrid's, Barcelona's, Juve's, Napoli, Bayern Munich's, they're all in the other side of this final eight, which is obviously a bit more than that at the moment because we've got some second legs of the last 16 matches to complete. Uh, what did you think of that lineup, Alvaro? Well, I I believe that there are uh, great games coming up, obviously. I think that both sides of the draw have uh, very similar levels, uh, despite having, uh, you know, non-winners in one side of the draw. And many of them, they've got a really, really high level. I believe that Atletico de Madrid uh, and PSG could win Champions League. And I wouldn't be too surprised, really, if they did it. I want to see how PSG is uh, physically, after not having played uh, an, a competitive game for many months, but uh, generally speaking, uh, I believe that uh, this Champions League is so different uh, with only one leg ties that everyone can win it, really. And it will be all down as well to how 
damage the teams are getting there. I mean, the other day, Barcelona had only seven players in the bench against Valladolid. Valladolid had 12 players in the bench. Barcelona just didn't have any more first uh, team uh, squad men uh, there because uh, they were all injured. So let's see how each team finishes the league, uh, how Atalanta, Juventus uh, make it. They are going to have one less week of uh, rest uh, in comparison to Spanish teams. And that's uh, going to be very important too. Right. Barcelona, of course, still have the second leg of their last 16 tie with Napoli. They had a 1-1 draw in Naples. I think the draw, that the element of the draw that has most people licking their lips, though, is the Atalanta-PSG matchup. Uh, Atalanta demonstrating on Saturday against Champions League opposition uh, that they are very much ready to, to go deep in this competition. Paris Saint-Germain, as Alvaro mentions, uh, with the slight disadvantage of not having league fixtures between now and then, they have got a couple of cup finals, and excitingly, uh, this weekend, Jules, they had a friendly with La Havre, which is in Normandy, I believe, yeah. and uh, and uh, in front of fans and everything. How did that go? Yeah, the 5,000 fans were there. I believe that's the first um, official game, if you want. Uh, fans were allowed to go back in the... Uh, in the stadium, Ocean Stadium in, in Le Havre, um, and seemed, seemed to be quite smooth in the way the fans arrived and social distancing. If you didn't know the people sat next to you or like you know next to you in the on that row and things like that, so they were very happy the way it went with fans. And PSG were quite happy with the way the game went. They won nine 0 It was two different teams for each half. Uh, Thomas Tuchel changed everything at halftime. They were five 0 up at halftime with the, the big team, if you want, Di Maria and Neymar and Mbappe and Icardi, who all were pretty good physic, you know, fitness-wise in that first 45 minutes and then the second 45 minutes where they still co- scored four more goals. But they were, I think, very happy just to be back on the pitch and, and to play in that kind of environment. And they know, as Alvaro said, and we've said all along, that it's a disadvantage not to have had some league games to play uh, between the restart and when the Champions League will, uh, will, will resume. They will have those two cup finals, as you said, July 24th, July 31st. And then they can focus on that Atalanta game. I mean, James texting me straight after the draw, trolling me, saying, oh, Atalanta, blah, 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 already. And I, I can tell you I'm scared. I watched the game on Saturday and I was like, oh my God, this is... It's very much the same feeling that I had when they drew Dortmund in the last 16. And I think there's, a, there's similarities between Dortmund and, and Atalanta in the way they attack and maybe the way, in the way they lack experience as well, which I think maybe that's something PSG can exploit against Atalanta. But over one game, it's far more dangerous to play Atalanta than over two games against Dortmund. If you remember the first leg at Dortmund, PSG and Tuchel really messed it up and they messed the formation and the tactic. And then they, they had a second leg to come back and win it. With Atalanta, you don't have that. Yeah. Surely the best thing for PSG, though, is to have one-legged because your record in second legs is, <laughs> well, we all know. Uh-huh. No, I know. Well, of course, you're right. But as we saw against Dortmund, it worked out well when That's you true. when when in the first leg you, you you know you mess up and you lose and you you don't really have the right game plan or the right formation and then in the second leg especially in that case at the Paris de Prince then you can turn it around if two, if Tuchel and the players get it wrong this time or if they get it wrong for seventy five minutes that that would be it they would be out so that'd it's be very tricky. sad yeah, I mean, yeah it would be sad <laughs> everybody would be cheering for Atalanta especially you all but you know I I'm I've got, still out of dinner no no don't don't talk for me. Oh, thank you, Alvaro. I love you too. Uh, I sent Jules a text on Sunday. So I sent him the score, 9-0. And he said, just watched it. They will do the same to Atalanta. So Jules (laughs) predicting a 9-0. Yeah, I do. (laughs) 
Of course, there's also Leon in terms of Ligue 1 representatives who are currently 1-0 up against Juve from their first leg of a last 16 tie. What what was the reaction in Germany to the draw for Bayern, Raf? Yeah, the reaction was, was quite curious in Germany. I think there's been so much uh, hype about Bayern winning the Champions League that the draw came as a bit of a, as a bit of a reality check. It's like, oh, there are actually some pretty good teams left in this competition and Bayern will have to play most of them if they want to get to the final or beyond. So... Uh, perhaps not the worst thing in terms of the mental preparation of the of the club and and the way that uh, the fans and the media approach it, but of course we often say that you need a bit of luck to win the Champions League. I think you'll probably need more luck than usual in this competition with one-legged games, etc. You can't um, make up for mistakes, and Bayern will have to do it the hard way in most likelihood against Barcelona and then either uh, City, Real Madrid, or Juventus. No disrespect to Lyon, so it's a pretty tough route to the final where either PSG or Atletico are most likely to wait for them. So <laughs> I don't think that the travel talk is quite as loud uh, since Friday as it has been before in Munich. And also there is another thing, James. Uh, there are some teams that uh, make it to the Champions League uh, quarterfinals, having won already their title. And I think that, that is going to ease off a little bit of the pressure. I don't know if for Bayern or for Juve. But, uh, for example, Barcelona gets there and uh, if they don't win Champions League, they will end up the season empty-handed. And same, same thing applies to Atletico de Madrid, probably to Atalanta and some other clubs. So I think that uh, having won the title may play a part as well because teams may be a little bit more calm and uh, with the pressure off. I think the pressure will still be on a team like Juventus, for example, who of the three Italian teams in the Champions League look the least likely to win it at this moment in time, uh, considering how they're playing. Even though they somehow managed to extend their lead at the top of the table at the weekend, um, I think there was a feeling that they haven't convinced at all um, this season and judgments will be made on the basis of what they do in the Champions League. Um, So, uh, you know, I think it's going to be very tough for them. Uh, In some respects, it's an advantage to... Come up against the Lyon side, which will have played one competitive game um, in that uh, what Coupe de la Ligue final, um, but they've still got a deficit to overcome. And even in uh, Juventus's recent blowout wins against Genoa and Torino, those wins really had nothing to do with anything that Maurizio Sarri has done. They were down to moments of individual brilliance from Paolo Dybala and Cristiano Ronaldo. So, in some respects, even a rusty Lyon, as long as you know they they prove compact and hard to break down, they could frustrate Juventus. Um, so, yeah, I think that's one of the curiosities for me is that I think the pressure will still be very much on a team like Juventus going into that. And I imagine still on Tuchel as well, Jules, as well, um, even though Leonardo's kind of come out and said he'll be our manager next season. This looks to me as the best possible side of the draw for PSG to be on, A, to reach a semi-final, which, correct me if I'm wrong, they haven't done um, since they the have. Qataris but. Oh, they did oh, against... Oh, since the Qataris, sorry. Since, since the, the Qataris. Qataris. Yeah. And overcome Atalanta, then you've got Atleti or Leipzig. They should, PSG should reach the final. I'm sorry, Jules. They should reach the no. final. No, I think you're right. I think it's a good it's a good draw in that sense. You're right. Uh, it's a very tricky draw. And, I, and I've seen loads of PSG fans and I got loads of texts and people saying, oh, this is great. And, and in fairness, uh, for ESPN, I had to give my dream draw, and it was very similar to that. I had Leipzig in the quarters, and then the winner of Atalanta Atletico in the semis. Juice is magic balls. Draw. I know, you know, you know the hot balls. Um, 
it's still a tricky draw and I think a lot of PSG fans despite everything that we've been saying on Atalanta and and underestimate I think that team we, we will right. see we will see what happens and the, the pressure on Tuchel is huge but just quickly on Lyon Lyon where having seen you were losing to Milan for example and considering those four goals in, in half an hour mm. and then that game against Atalanta where they should have never even got a point I think they were in a way a bit confident or at least reassured that okay this not it's just not impossible to to be able to to keep the, the advantage from the first leg. The day before the draw, Jean-Michel Olas went on, on radio on RMC and had this wonderful sentence where he said, we've never had so many chances of winning the Champions League. He also said they could lose, of losing it as well. And then the next day is the draw and it's the, it's the draw of hell for them. <laughs> um, so well done, President, for, uh, for jinxing your team. But you know, it's true a bit from what we've been saying. Because it's on one game, anything is possible. Although for Lyon, it would be really a miracle for them to go all the way to the final. Well, it is a fascinating format. There'll be ample time, of course, for us to preview uh, all those fixtures, uh, starting with the last 16 second legs, before the competition gets back underway. Uh, of course, there was also the Europa League draw, uh, the quarterfinals of that competition. And uh, we'll be getting on to that a little bit later on. But next up, let's have some of the weekend's action. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on the Athletic app. This is the Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Contro quadrado dalla posizione di alla sinistra, va ancora da Marinowski, 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 destro! Il raddoppio della Dea al 35esimo minuto! About a bit of Syria. Some big games since we last spoke. Two whole rounds of action indeed. Since uh, our last European show, the big game we've touched on it already was Saturday in Turin and a 2-2 draw between Juventus and the big story of the Serie A season, Atalanta. They shared the points, but the headlines were all for Atalanta, particularly for one spell in the game, which they absolutely played La Signora off the park. Eight minutes and 11 seconds in which Juve did not manage to touch the ball in their opponent's half. And this is at home. This is the eight-time consecutive champions of Italy. It was magnificent stuff, James. Yeah, and uh, the team doing it um, is paid only, what, five or six million more than Juventus pay Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, I think we should never lose sight of that. And I think it's embarrassing, um, not only for Juventus, but for a lot of the other big clubs with bigger wage bills and bigger budgets to see a team like Atalanta go um, to Turin um, and be so dominant and impose themselves on Juventus. And yeah, again, this is one of the reasons why uh, Juventus appointed Maurizio Sarri was to do that um, to teams and not let it be done unto them. And they were unlucky. Um, you know, ultimately, this uh, ridiculous interpretation of the handball rule um, has, has cost them a, a, another prestigious win. And you mentioned uh, the headlines for um, Atalanta and the Italian media um, on Sunday morning, James. I mean, I think the first paragraph in La Repubblica really summed it up. You know, that the stat of the day is Juventus stopped Atalanta, not vice versa. A team uh, of champions managed to get through the night against the best team in the league, um, which is Atalanta. And they haven't been the best team overnight. They've been certainly the best team since the restart where they'd They've only dropped two points. Um, they're on, a, I think, an 11-game winning streak across all competitions as well. And I think you have to look at um, how some of the other teams that were challenging for the title, like Lazio, like Inter, have fallen away on the basis that 
this compressed schedule, they don't have the squads to compete. It makes no difference to Atalanta because they can bring on Malinowski. They can bring on Muriel. Um, I think this team has recruited so well when they've um, got richer, either through selling some of the players that Gasparini brought through or from competing in the Europa League and in the Champions League. When they have spent in excess of 13 million on Darun, on Zapata, on Muriel, on Malinowski, they've got it absolutely right. Uh, Juve coming back into this game, both times that Atalanta took the lead, thanks to penalties for handball. You mentioned the kind of building uh, furore over uh, interpretation of the handball rule in Italy, which I think is far more severe than anywhere else in Europe. Certainly the numbers of numbers of penalties being given is is far higher than in other leagues and far higher than it's ever been in Serie A as well. All the handballs pretty much are given as penalties. There was a few reactions after the game I thought on social media, especially of people saying, oh, this is like a Tripoli, this is Juve always gets those kind of decisions. Well, De Ligt did four handballs and got done every, every time. Bonucci the other day against Milan, when they were totally in control, that handball was given against Juve, that penalty started to come back from... So Juve also were on the back on that night on Saturday, it was in their favour. But before, many times already this season, it cost them penalties as well. So it's not just like, yeah. you know... They've had 10 penalties given them against them this season. Yeah. 10. Right. Juve dropping points in that match, but they still, as you mentioned, extended their lead because Lazio lost their third straight game 2-1 at home to the remarkable Sassuolo who are now on four straight wins Nero Verdi <laughs> Siamo Forti yeah. yeah and they've got a, a chance of qualifying for the Europa League as well um, I think that's one of the reasons why Roma's win against Brescia um, on Saturday night was important because it kept Sassuolo at arm's length um, but um, they've been magnificent since the restart I think one of the things that goes into that was, remember um, Emilia-Romagna, which is the region where uh, Sassuolo are based, they kind of lifted some of the restrictions on teams going back to training earlier um, than uh, some of the other regions did. So Sassuolo, I think, were the first team back in training um, after lockdown, and you can really see it. But yeah, Roberto Di Zerbi, their coach, has long been kind of um, regarded as... Uh, one of the up-and-coming managers in the league, the next big thing. Um, and his style of football is, is certainly one admirer, not only in Italy, but outside of Italy. Pep Guardiola is a big fan of, of, of Di Zerbi and his his whole approach. Um, and just as Atalanta have got, what, three players have scored 15 or more goals? Sassuolo have got three players in double figures as well. Boga, Caputo, Berardi. And their only defeat, I think, since the restart was the first game that they had back against Atalanta. And they were really unlucky in that game. I think if you look at the uh, XG numbers, they're, they're pretty much parity. Of, they deserve three goals from the chances that they got. Um, so, yeah, um, they play Juventus next. Um, mm. So, title race clearly isn't over, James. <laughs> well, six rounds to go. It yeah. surely isn't. A couple of other things we should touch on. One is another big game on Sunday night where Milan, who've been in incredible form of late, they beat Roma, they beat Lazio, and of course they had that 4-2 come-from-behind win against Juve in the middle of last week. They went to Napoli, uh, San Paolo, on, on Sunday night, another team in good form, and it ended a, a 2-2 draw. Interesting game, this one against Gennaro Gattuso, of course, the growler, the Milan uh, legend. <laughs> but yet more evidence of the fantastic job that Stefano Pioli's been doing at the club, despite the fact that they are going to be ditching him at the end of the season. And listeners writing in about uh, the proposed or the imminent change Pioli for Ralf Rangnick, 
Uh, Graham says, are Milan making a massive mistake uh, given that Pioli's got the team playing so well? George B. Livingston asks, what can we expect a Ranić Milan to look like? Rafa. Well, time will tell if they make a mistake or not. I mean, I have to tell you that sources close to Rangnick last week were saying this is not a done deal yet. Um, I had that confirmed today as well. That it's not done yet. So they might stay with Pioli? I think it's a conversation that uh, they're still open to having. You know, contrary to what Sky Italia and Gazetta reported last week, I think if you read that Gazetta report, a lot of it is conditional. Um, it's it's not this is happening despite the headline and you know I've I've been told that it's still up in the air you know obviously there has been contact there has been there have been talks with with Ralph Ranić um, but you know they are aware of the good job that Stefano Pioli is doing right now um, and look uh, if you look at what's happened in the the Red Bull Sporting Network you know Ralph Ranić has. Uh, worked above Julian Nagelsmann. Um, he's worked above a coach. Now, whether that uh, would happen uh, is is something that would be acceptable to not only Stefano Pioli, but um, you know, also technical director at the time at the moment, Paolo Maldini. I think still remains to be seen. Um, but I would caution against um, saying this is already done and that uh, Ralph Raniak will be Milan's coach next season because I think it's, uh, it's there's no ink on paper at the moment. Yeah. I mean, to, to answer the second question, I think the attraction really is to get one guy that can turn a football club around and build structures to last because you're always going to have successful managers, less successful managers, but I think what he has shown... At Hoffenheim and even more so at, at Leipzig is that he can put structures in place when it comes to the scouting, the quality of players that you attract, but also the quality of coaches that you, that you attract that that leaves a lasting mark. And I think that's what Milan want. I don't think they want necessarily you know, just a short-term solution, a coach that might work or might not work for a couple of years. I think this is a, a much sort of more deeper, more vertically integrated project, I think, that they're looking at. And Rangnick, because of his track record, I think suggests that he can he can do that kind of job. And I think that's why it is very attractive to go for him. But at the same time, of course, with all these um, different parts of the jobs and different hats that, have, that he's supposed to, to wear, I think you're entering into lots of different discussions where it's far um, more convoluted a discussion rather than just hiring a new manager. So uh, the, the attraction is at the same time, I think, the complication because you have to clearly define where the competences start and where they end. And he needs to agree that he can work under the conditions that, that Milan put forward. All right. One or two other things from the weekend. Huge game down at the bottom end of the table. A struggling Spal lost to Genoa with a wonderful free kick for the Griffoni from Alassa Schoene. And then the second goal from Goran Pandev. Goran Pandev, 37 years of age. Extraordinary that he's... I mean, every time that he scores or he features, I, I have to just check. Is this the, Is it his son who's also called Goran Pandev? He was playing for Inter in 2001. His teammates were the likes of Toldo, Ronaldo the Phenomenal, Ricorba, Vieri and Adriano. He's, he's literally a living link to a, a bygone age. It's fabulous that he's still out there. Yeah, no, I mean... 
the, the, one of the, the crazy things about Genoa is 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 he's been there for quite some time now, and this is a club that has gone through 119 different players in the last three or four years, which is just remarkable. I think it's one of the reasons why that club continues to find itself fighting relegation. There's no stability. It's one of the reasons why you look at two of the best managers in the league at the moment, James, uh, Gasparini and uh, Ivan Juric, both of whom have been Genoa coaches. And Gasparini did a, a very good job and I think would have been able to do get similar results to what he's been getting at Atlanta had there been stability there. But Juric got sacked once, twice, three times, looked a broken man after it and uh, and is now coaching Hellas Verona to a, a you know, kind of revelatory season. But Pandev's still going. Um, yeah, his his hair has, um, has thinned and uh, I believe there's a image on social media, what was it, last season of his, um, of his hair looking a, a little bit reminiscent of a cock and balls um, at, the, at that time. <laughs> but um, yeah, and I mean, he's got competition for places up front as there because they've, they've bought like seven or eight strikers, um, uh, none of which, apart from Pandev and, and Pinamonti, who Jules is a big fan of, can actually score any goals. So yeah, good to see the uh, Pandev, you know, sort of aging like a fine pesto. Does pesto age in general? I mean, uh, I imagine you get, No, I wouldn't think so. Yeah. Right. It's a it's a conservation Pandev project, perhaps. <laughs> you know, save the Pandev. Maybe something along those lines. Well, it's been uh, emotional. After this, let's move on to La Liga. Después del taconazo de la intervención de Leo, de Diego, Luis Suárez, Barça 1, Español 0. Álvaro, since we last spoke in Spain, Barcelona won the derby, sending Español down. Would that be especially sweet for them as a derby win or would there be some sort of Catalan camaraderie there? There is no camaraderie, but there is no sweetness either because Barcelona played really badly. Uh, it was obvious that at some point Espanyol was going to go down and uh, fortunately for Espanyol that didn't happen uh, in front of supporters because uh, maybe some derogatory chant would have been heard uh, from Barcelona fans to Espanyol fans. But uh, the thing there, and I would say that the, the important thing is that uh, number one, Espanyol has been relegated after more than 25 years in the top flight from 1995 onwards. Only Athletic de Bilbao, Valencia, Real Madrid, Barcelona and Espanyol have played all the seasons in the top flight. Even Atletico and Sevilla have been down. And uh, they are going to find it very difficult to negotiate with the second division because they've got uh, a high budget. They will have to offload a few players. Let's see who buys them in these conditions uh, and in this financial landscape. And as I said, there is only one month for the reconstruction of Espanyol and uh, that's going to be difficult for them, definitely. And I don't know how they will navigate um, a division that they don't know too well because they've been out of it for the quarter of century. And then when it comes to Barcelona, well, uh, the title race is still alive after Barcelona beat 1-0 uh, Espanyol, 1-0 to Valladolid away. Real Madrid can win La Liga on Thursday. They just have to do the job against Granada. Uh, they have to play against them. And then if they beat Villarreal, after beating Granada, they will be La Liga champions for the first time since 2017. Brilliant. Then they can put their feet up because some of them, Gareth Bell, for example, looks exhausted. Yes. Uh, 
And uh, you said something about Jules before, that he got a good tan. I think that Gareth Bale has also a very good tan, because uh, he was pretty much sunbathing, or uh, looking like he was sunbathing in Real Madrid uh, bench the other day. Uh, well, that is a testament to what Gareth Bale uh, means for Zinedine Zidane, and maybe what uh, Zidane means for Gareth Bale at this stage of their both their careers. Uh, to be honest with you, Real Madrid doesn't think, and Zidane doesn't think that Gareth Bale is... Uh, very useful tool at this stage of the season for Real Madrid and he's barely playing uh, in the same way that Hammer Rodriguez, uh, which is a totally different case, is just uh, gone from Real Madrid. Uh, he doesn't play any- anymore. That famous picture of him wearing his face mask over his eyes as if, it, as if it was a sleep mask during Real Madrid's 2-1 win over Alaves. What kind of reaction did that get in Spain? Well, the, the reaction was like, uh, well, this is one more from Gareth Bale. I mean, uh, I think that the Nothing compares the reaction of that uh, message he saw with uh, his uh, teammates of Wales saying uh, golf, uh, Wales and Real Madrid in that order. Nothing compares that, but yeah, the reaction has been a little bit like, well, yeah, this is another one from Gareth Bale. To be honest with you, uh, this season started leaking plenty of things that Gareth Bale has been doing over the last years, uh, just because I think that the Real Madrid propaganda uh, channels, they have allowed it. For example, uh, you know, at Real Madrid, uh, the players uh, in the home games, they are allowed to, the players who are not in the match day squad, but they are at Santiago Bernabeu in the home games, they are allowed to leave the pitch in the 80th minute, just not to find any traffic. Uh, when the game is over, so they can run away with the car from the ground as quick as they can. Well, Gareth Bale has been doing it for the most of the season, every time he hasn't been in the match uh, day squad. Whereas some other players, uh, when they are not in the match day squad, they stay, they go to the locker room after the game, uh, they cheer their teammates if they have lost. Well, Gareth Bale doesn't do that, you know. There are a few few things that are happening there that they tell you that he is totally detached from from the team and uh, obviously some other seasons Real Madrid has tried to disguise all that saying that Gareth Bale uh, uh, is playing really well when he plays, that he's still an important asset of the team but this season I think that uh, not even that is happening. Those journalists who were writing favorable uh, reports about him don't do that anymore and I think that uh, the relationship of Gareth Bale with Zidane as I said before is pretty much gone and uh, same thing applies for Hammer Rodriguez. Again, he was not in the in the squad and uh, the Hammer Rodriguez thing is even worse because at least Gareth Bale has scored uh, some of the most iconic goals of Real Madrid in the last five years but Hammer uh, Rodriguez hasn't been that player and uh, Real Madrid paid for him 80 million in the summer of 2014 and he's on his way out as well so uh, they have to find a team that pays uh, some money for Hammer Rodriguez uh, and uh, obviously they are not going to get back all the investment they did six years ago for this player. Situation anyway in La Liga with not long to go. The final round of the season is next weekend. Is that Barcelona are just one point behind Real Madrid, although Real Madrid have yet to play uh, their game from this round. Barcelona, in the meantime, with some bad news that uh, during the 1-0 win over Real Valladolid, uh, they managed to lose Antoine Griezmann uh, for the rest of the season or the end of this week, if, if, whichever you prefer. Yeah, and the question is whether he will be fit for the Champions League. Probably yes. I mean, he's got a muscle injury in the quadriceps of his right leg. And uh, yeah, uh, he won't be playing for the remainder of the season. He has scored nine goals uh, in the league and uh, the stats will stay that way. Probably not enough uh, for what was expected from Antoine Griezmann. And uh, yeah, this is another injury in a season 
that Barcelona uh, has suffered a lot of them. I mean, at the beginning of the season, Messi was not ready to play. Suarez got a very important injury. Dembélé, a player that uh, we shouldn't forget about, is not there yet and he won't be fit to play the Champions League. Frankie de Jong is out now. And well, uh, they will try to regroup uh, players together uh, as soon as they can for the Champions League. And in Antoine Griezmann and Frankie de Jong can be fit for the Champions League. That would be fantastic. Alvaro, if they miss Griezmann, who scored the away goal in Naples, they're also going to be missing Sergio Busquets and Arturo Vidal, who are suspended. Napoli have proven themselves to be a very good team uh, in cup games um, this season. They've pretty much been able to beat you know, Lazio, Inter, Juve, and they performed very well in that Barcelona game. Barcelona... What are you concerned? saying? Are you saying that Napoli are going to knock out Barcelona? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I'm willing to stake... stake uh, I'm not going to stake another dinner on that because you you owe oh. me that. But um, <laughs> but you know I'm I, I'm I'm saying that things f- slightly falling into place for Napoli uh, ahead of their tie at the Camp Nou. Although Barca haven't lost there since what Bayern went and absolutely destroyed destroyed them uh, when Bayern won the treble in 2013. Yeah, that's true. And uh, to be honest with you, I think that. Uh, I think that Barcelona is going to suffer a lot from not having Sergio Busquets, especially because Arturo Vidal has a very clear replacement, uh, which is uh, Frankie de Jong in there, or even Sergi Roberto could uh, play as a midfielder uh, because he's a very uh, useful squad player. But Sergio Busquets not being there, uh, there is no a clear replacement for for the very veteran player and uh, probably a midfielder of Rakitic, Ricky and uh, Frankie de Jong is not uh, qualified, perhaps, in Champions League, at least, uh, to play against a team of that caliber. I don't know if uh, I don't know if that uh, midfield is actually experienced enough. I don't think so. But still, I mean, at Camp Nou, normally Barcelona is a favourite against anybody. OK, well, final round, as we say, this weekend, Real Madrid with a one-point lead. Top four, all but sorted. Then Barcelona, Atletico Madrid and Sevilla and then uh, a bunch of teams battling over the Europa League spots, including Villarreal are in great form and picked up a whopping 3-1 win over their rivals Getafe Wednesday night, after which they had a right old set to Alvaro with the police getting involved. Yes, uh, th- all that happened and uh, the police went there after the, the game and a few Getafe players were uh, really annoyed uh, and fighting in the in the dugout. And uh, finally, uh, some Getafe players got like... Uh, yeah, red cards and uh, yes, this is uh, a bad thing for a team that has a short squad and uh, the likes of Echeita, for example, a very important defender will be out and uh, also Niom and Jene, uh, I believe. So yes, uh, that was uh, quite a controversial one. OK, well, we get the final verdict on La Liga in next uh, week's show. A couple of things before we hear from the extraordinary uh, Luis Miguel Echegaray on uh, the pretty extraordinary situation right now with MLS. Uh, Porto could be crowned champions of Portugal on either Tuesday or Wednesday of this week. They're currently eight points clear of uh, Benfica, three matches to go. And uh, also, of course, the Europa League draw. We'll touch on that next. Rafa, Europa League is coming to Germany. Yeah, it's coming to Germany. But uh, as um, Thomas Helmer told you, it's the Cup of Losers, which went really, <laughs> that was down, which went down really that well. Was Why would he say such a thing? I don't he know. Was you have to draw, ask him. You know, and as he was making the draw, it was brilliant. A Cup of Losers. 
<laughs> Remarkable. What well, does that make the conference? We're, we're just going to come into effect next season. Mm, yeah. <laughs> well, this year's losers include uh, Wolves uh, and Olympiakos. The winner of their tie, they're currently at 1-1, will be facing Sevilla or Roma. Man United are in there. They're 5-0 up against the team from uh, Linz Lask. Basaksha here or Copenhagen will be their adversaries in the quarterfinals. Inter Milan, if they get past Getafe, will be taking on either Bayer Leverkusen or Rangers. And the other quarterfinal will see either Wolfsburg or Shakhtar taking on either Eintracht Frankfurt and Basel, although Basel have a 3-0 lead from the first leg. But anyway, Rafa, for the three Bundesliga sides involved in the competition, huge uh, home advantage here. I mean, Leverkusen, perhaps, because they are based very close to some uh, to some of the stadiums being used. But for Frankfurt and Wolfsburg, it's not much of a home advantage to have to travel just like everybody else. And of course, no fans being there. Uh, in the Bundesliga, it got to the point where home advantage was seen as a home disadvantage because the teams away from home, nominally, uh, tended to get much better results. So a minor, um, I think, positive effect of the draw, but not, not, not that much. It's worth noting again that the Sevilla-Roma and, and Inter Milan-Getafe's game will be played over on one game. They could not play the first leg, so they're the two games that would just be played not home and away like all the others, but just over one game in Germany You know, at the beginning of August. Which is great because you've got the Monchi derby. Um, no bad blood between Monchi and Roma after what went down there. Um, and you have an Inter side uh, coached by a manager who is deeply unhappy. <laughs> Antonio Conte. <laughs> this was one Is of the big stories. This was one of the big stories of the week in Italy of uh, Conte basically saying, "Well, I think we're going to have to review things at the end of the season, aren't we? Um, not going, not going my way, I don't think." <laughs> and then there was the, the 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 water break during Inter's game against Verona, in which he just stayed away from his players <laughs> because just couldn't bear to look at them. Um, yeah, so. <laughs> Uh, you know, ultimately, this is this is Conte has always won a trophy in his first season wherever he's been, apart from Atalanta, where he 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 got sacked after a few weeks. Um, so this is their last chance to win a trophy. But um, and and also, I think the other wrinkle to add in here is, you know, particularly with Chris Smalling playing for Roma, Alexis Sanchez playing for Inter. Um, you know, both both of those players are on loan from Manchester United, who are in the Europa League mm. and could potentially uh, meet Inter in the final as well. Yes, they're, on, they're, not, uh, they're not allowed to play be, in the Europa League right now, right? Is that true? They can finish La Serie, but they're not allowed. Yeah. So that was the point I was about to make: is that um, United, as 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 of today, has, have have yet to grant an extension uh, for the loans of Sanchez and Smalling beyond the end of the domestic season in, in Serie. A. Sanchez can play in the Getafe game. I think Smalling can play in the Sevilla game, but Roma still kind of negotiating to see whether they can get Smalling cleared for the rest of the Europa League. Inter certainly um, not particularly happy um, with the rule, the loophole in the rules, um, which United are perfectly in their rights to to apply. Um, yeah, that basically meant, means it's up to them whether they uh, whether they allow Alexis to play or not. Uh, We're all rooting for that Inter-Man United final, though, to see Man United's <laughs> old goal-scoring uh, talisman. Lukaku yeah. against young, the new. Imagine. In for Lukaku, who lays it off for Sanchez. Goal! 89th minute, <laughs> one nil win. Yeah, there you go. Good. Well, that's the Europa League and it's coming up. Those fixtures kind of meshed in with the Champions League uh, one. So it's going to be a fascinating fortnight, really, 
of European competition in August. Uh, we're going to finish off today with a bit of a journey across the Atlantic. MLS is back, sort of, a, a bit. Uh, you will recall that they started their season in February, had to suspend it in March. So they've decided that the best thing is to come back with a one-off tournament held in the number one virus hotspot pretty much of the entire world, Florida. Uh, a solution so bad, not even the French contemplated it. Uh, to find out why they've done this and how it's all going, let's welcome back to the Totally Football Show, Luis Miguel Echegaray of Sports Illustrated. Hi, Luis. Jimbo, good to hear your voice again. Hope everybody's safe over there in the UK. Yes, hope you're safe over there. First of all, why? Why the MLS is back tournament, Luis? Oh, Jimbo, how, how long do you have? <laughs> this, unfortunately, is um, somewhat of a complex issue uh, that really is riddled with, um, you know, mixed emotions. You know, as many, you know, in any other sport, specifically in the US, when you think about the NBA, NHL, MLB, NWSL, etc., every sports fan wants action to return. They're eager about it, uh, especially during a time like this uh, when people are just looking for normalcy. MLS is no different. So, you know, when all of this began, the MLS is back tournament, it really was, uh, you know, a chance for Don Garber and his league to try and bring back some kind of that normalcy that I just talked about. Obviously, they're not the first sports-based team league that came back in the U.S. That was the NWSL. But MLS was the first uh, male uh, sports uh, team-based league in the U.S. to come back, and it did it, you know, in, in certain uh, issues of a bubble in Orlando. Now, there's a lot to talk about within this specific situation because, for one, we have to remember the backdrop of all this. This is in Orlando, in Florida, where it's a state that is really not taking care of business when it comes to the pandemic. Just yesterday, um, state officials announced that the state had a record-setting 15,300 new virus cases, the most ever announced in a single day by any U.S. state. Um, and the Orlando area in itself had just under 44,000 total cases and 426 deaths. The reason I have to bring these numbers is because it's very important to remember that this is a tournament being held in a country that is still not taking full grips of the pandemic. Ron DeSantis has refused to order the state citizens to wear masks, etc. So within all of this, you have MLS coming into the bubble uh, at Disney Resorts, where the NBA will also be coming as well. It's already here, actually. So, you know, you have all these issues, all these storylines that all brings down to one thing. What is going on in terms of the safety? SC Dallas has already pulled out. Nashville already pulled out. So, you know, uh, DC United against Toronto, which was meant to happen on Sunday, had to happen this morning because of a player testing uh, positive and another one, an inconclusive test. So you have this sort of mountain of issues coming every time. Now, I talked to Nani, you know, the former Manchester United, the Portugal star who plays for Orlando City, and he, he you know, they all feel safe. They feel like, MLS is doing a very good job in terms of the intricacies of what a player and a team needs to do while they're at the resort. The problem is, is that this is all down to behavior, human behavior, and you can't control what's going to happen once you are inside a bubble. And that's basically what's happening. Every day you're hearing a new test being positive from a player or a team. And so the inconsistency lies within that you just can't predict what's going to happen. Right. One of the issues as well, Luis, is that the bubble is, is a pretty porous one, given that 
there was no quarantine for the players before they went to Orlando. Whereas in Bundesliga, and I think Premier League as well, players were isolating with their families perhaps, but staying clear of too much social contact before then uh, joining up with their teammates. The uh, MLS clubs have arrived in Orlando to enter the bubble without even a day's quarantine. So you're getting people bringing in all these positives. You mentioned uh, Nashville and uh, uh, FC Dallas withdrawing, and, and both times it was because the teams had had multiple positives for COVID-19. Yep, a really good point. Right, exactly. In the lead-up to the tournament, you know, players were not uh, you know, quarantining or at least taking a test that had a, a lengthy period of time that was able to prove to them that they were ready to go to the bubble. And, you know, it's funny that we talk about the bubble, the bubble, the bubble. And a bubble is very delicate. <laughs> and that's exactly what's proving to be in this case. Now, listen, the thing is, the other part of it is that you have to also remember that even without a COVID situation, you know, if something major or serious happens to a player during a game and they have to go to hospital, what happens to these local hospitals that are already filled up with coronavirus cases that may not have, you know, and a player that may not well be dealing with a COVID-19, but rather an injury, where do you fit them in? That's exactly what happened uh, in, in the first game, actually. A player from Inter Miami, Reyes, had to, you know, he was elbowed in the neck by Dom Dwyer, the Orlando City forward. It was a very scary moment. You know, they had to pause the game. He, he, he had trouble breathing, so they had to take him to hospital. Now, luckily, he's okay. According to reports, he's fine now. But still, what happens to players in a game situation and they need to go to a local hospital and, you know, these hospitals in Florida are completely overwhelmed. So that's another issue as well. The other one, actually, the last part is that, you know, uh, MLS and NBA are using the same uh, company in, for testing, which is an excessive, aggressive uh, testing schedule, right? I think it's almost every other day. Uh, but, you know, there's been already reports of things like these kinds of companies are prioritizing these kinds of situations as opposed to a regular citizen. Why does it take a day and a half for a professional athlete to get a test back as opposed to like a week for a regular citizen? So there's so many issues with this. But, you know, MLS still continues. Well, so far we've had, what, two teams withdraw, three games played, one postponed. We have had the first Florida derby in there, Orlando beating Inter Miami 2-1, and Yap Stam getting off to a losing start with his new side, Cincinnati. Is the feeling now that things have got rolling that they should be all right, or is there a real danger that things are going to unravel further? Maybe this MLS tournament isn't actually going to complete. It's a good question, and your guess is as good as mine. I think that, you know, obviously there are the words that you take from the commissioner, Don Garber, who says, you know, the moment we feel that it's completely, you know, dangerous and, and a risk for, for athletes, then, then we will stop the tournament. But I don't know what that limit is. I don't know what, what that means. We've already had two teams pull out completely. I don't know if that means that another Nashville-Dallas situation might pull that out because once you have that, then you have to rearrange the groups once again. Uh, because let's not forget, this is also about, you know, obviously less important, but, um, you know, the, the wins or losses or ties within the group stages also matter for the regular season whenever that returns. And there's a $1.1 million prize money and a 2021 CONCACAF Champions League 
uh, birth spot uh, to be talked about. So there's there's still there's also the other side of it that, that that's still at stake. It may not be huge stakes, but it's still something. So I don't know what the answer is. I don't know if it, if it mean if another team pulls out, maybe. But you know, so far we still have, as you mentioned, games being played today. We have LA, both LA teams playing today: LAFC, Houston Dynamo, LA Galaxy against Portland. So you know, we'll see what happens. All right. So finally, Luis, the results in this tournament act as a part of the regular season that was suspended back in March. They're incorporated into the rest of the fixtures then when that finally gets back underway. Correct. Yeah. So uh, the games within the group stages, they all matter for points within the regular season. And then, this, as I mentioned, there's a there's a 1.1-ish million dollar uh, prize money, plus the winner gets a 2021 CONCACAF Champions League uh, berth spot. Right. And Dallas and Nashville have a, a bunch of fixtures to make up once the season does get underway because they didn't play any in the MLS's back tournament. Exactly. And the other thing to remember as well, by the way, is that, you know, um, from a marketing perspective, Carlos Vela is not playing, uh, defender of the year from last year, Ike Opara is not playing, you know, so there are also stars that are missing from the tournament. How much that affects the league uh, is still yet to be answered. But, you know, it's, it's a major thing, especially when somebody like Carlos Vela, who, you know, last season's MVP. All right, well, fingers crossed. And let's hope, Luis, that uh, soon we'll be talking about uh, some amazing football out on the field uh, and that nobody's bubble uh, bursts. Uh, many thanks uh, for speaking to us today and, and best of luck in the meantime. Thank you, Jimbo. Thanks, everybody. Well, there you go. Extraordinary stuff over in Orlando. Uh, that brings us to the end of today's Totally Football Show, European edition. Alvaro, James, Jules, Rafa, anything you want to leave us with? Yeah, I would like to say something, James. Uh, there is a newly promoted team to La Liga. Uh, it's Cadiz. called Cadiz. And uh, I don't know if we talk about it, but uh, they signed Alvaro Negredo. They announced it uh, last night after they, they got promoted. So he will be another very young striker in La Liga uh, to <laughs> meet with the likes of Benzema, Messi, Raul Garcia, Luis Suarez, and the ones that are topping the scoring charts in there, in our La Liga competition. Lovely. What, what a nice town Cadiz is. James? Yes, I've never been, uh, but it's going to go on the bucket list, James. Uh, I had one uh, quick thing to add, which is Palmer, uh, their bubble has been burst, James, in that they had a positive test um, at the weekend, a member of their medical staff. Um, he was isolated immediately and the players uh, were tested um, and they got the results four hours before the Bologna game. Uh, they were all negative, and so they were able to play that uh, game. But they will spend the uh, next 14 days in quarantine at uh, the training ground in Colecchio outside Parma. So um, they're still able to keep playing as long as um, you know they're healthy and they keep passing uh, positive tests. Um, the other thing that I had was a question for Jules, which I think was probably going to be a question that Rafa might ask, which is uh, Bayern have signed a young uh, French defensive prospect, Kouassi, from Paris Saint-Germain. I just wondered what uh, Jules's take on him is. He wants to be called Nianzu now. Yeah, which is his, um, his other surname. Um, yeah, we talked about it before when, when he signed. He's a, he was a huge blow for, for PSG to lose him. He refused to sign his first professional deal. Uh, he joined the club when he was 12. And 
and he played a lot this season with Thomas Tuchel and I think he was a big blow. They really thought he would sign. He decided to go to Bayern Munich where he felt he was better for, you know, for, for his pathway towards being a regular in a very strong team and, and winning loads of trophies, which I can also understand. There's a is point he Paris he, born and bred though, Jules? He is Paris born and bred. And he's, rejected, he's rejected pro contract. But, at, at, but uh, I can, I can understand why some, some players before like Kingsley Coman or Moussa Dembele or Boubacari Soumare and Zagadou and all those players who left very young, either very early in their professional career or before signing their first professional deal with, with PSG and why they left. But Kwasi cannot tell me that he didn't think he would play because he played a lot already this season for a 17-year-old. He only turned 18 in July. And we would have played even more next season with Thiago Silva uh, not having his contract renewed, for example. So the argument of, oh, I left because I would not have played, in this case, it doesn't work. So tell me that you left because you would earn more money at Bayern, which is the case, and his agent took, took a much bigger commission than if they stayed in Paris. I, I get that, and that's... A, that's I. I don't want to criticize that. That's a fair point. But don't, don't give it to me the, oh, but I'm going to play more at Bayern next season than I would have played in PSG because that's not the case. Can I just add for all the listeners who'd be disappointed that there was no Bundesliga section today. Of course, the league is already finished. Uh, there is a piece on The Athletic about the problems of the Bundesliga uh, when it comes to competitiveness and possible ways to address that imbalance that we have seen in recent years. So go and check that out. Send it to Javier Tebas as well, Rafael. Yeah, well, at least you have two or three teams. We only have one at the moment. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of today's show. Many thanks to Alvaro, Rafa, Jules and James and you, listener, and producer Charlie. We'll be back soon. Do hope you'll be with us for now. From all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football network at The Totally Show on Twitter. And make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com. Muddy Knees Media.